The following lecture was delivered by Rosamond McKittrick, Fellow of Newnham College, Cambridge University, to the Friends of the Book Arts Press at the Columbia University School of Library Service on Monday, the 7th of May, 1990. Ms. McKittrick's topic is Carolingian Book Production in the Later Ninth Century. Good evening. Well, I'm delighted to see you all. I, I guaranteed our speaker that there would be nine people at least to listen to her. I thought we could divvy up the entire Christian era, one person per century, for this purpose. Those of you who are friends of the Book Arts Press have had some intimation as to what's to happen to us during Rare Book School this summer. I can now say uh, with pretty complete confidence that among those speaking from this podium in July during Rare Book School will be Martin Antonetti, known to most of you, who will be talking about running a one-horse show at uh, a soon-to-be co-educational small women's college in Oakland, California. Martin tells me that the day before the trustees made the decision to admit women to Mills, nothing was known except that the university had hired several grief counselors to be on hand for the students. Also speaking will be Christopher Ridgway, who is librarian at Castle Howard in York, probably talking about Thomas Buick. Leonard Schlosser, the great collector of books on paper and papermaking, talking about his great collection of books on paper and papermaking, which he has given to the New York public, which proposes to mount what I'm sure will be a great exhibition of Schlosser's books on paper and papermaking later this year at New York Public in the Gotsman. Catherine Martinez will be speaking uh, on the Philadelphia engraver John Sartain. Those of you who look at mid-19th century American book illustration know how important Sartain is to the development of American book illustration. He was also Mary Cassatt's teacher. Uh, Catherine Martinez is librarian at Wintertour. Felix Oyens will give an updated version of the very interesting talk he gave at the RBMS conference in September in Cambridge, England on the diaspora 19th and 20th century as regards the sale of incunables. Roger Stoddard from Harvard uh, has, I think, uh, accepted our invitation to uh, speak on a subject of his choice. William Scheide from Princeton. Uh, we have not been able to find a date yet, but hope to do so. Talking about the Scheide collection, as we hope. And finally, uh, if all goes well, to celebrate the 300th Book Arts Press evening lecture, Paul Christeller. So that's this summer. There may be lectures between now and then. Things are emerging, but nothing has emerged. And there will be the usual announcements in the usual way to that purpose. Our speaker tonight, the last of this present series, is Rosamond McKittrick, no stranger to this podium, who speaks on later 9th century Carolingian book production. It's a great pleasure to welcome her back to Columbia. Well, first, let me say how nice it is to be here again. Last time I spoke in Colombia, it was two hours after getting off the aeroplane from Britain when um, TWA had cancelled my flight and I'd had to fight my way onto another aeroplane in order to get here at all. But this time, I'm happy to say, all went very well. I've got to turn this on first so that I can make sure I can work it all right. Right. Texts were needed in every sphere of Carolingian life. Government and administration, religious worship, spiritual discipline, intellectual activity, education and literary endeavor, 
And one of the most remarkable features of the Carolingian period is the massive increase in book production in comparison with the preceding 300 years. I wish to focus in tonight's paper not so much on the fact that so many books were produced, but on the consequences of the special and peculiar pressures of Carolingian book production, as far as script and the format of books was concerned. Caroline Minuscule was well established by the first decade of the 9th century as the standard book hand in the Frankish kingdoms. But to what extent could the evolution of Caroline Minuscule be taken for granted by scribes? Could scribes diversify within the basic script type? And could they develop new format for books and particular methods of book production? I shall concentrate, therefore, on the essentially practical function of the Carolingian scriptoria in the 9th century once Caroline Minuscule was established. It is in the diverse activities of Carolingian scriptoria that we can observe the particular responses, paleographical and technical, evoked by the need for texts and the repercussions of the dissemination of Caroline Minuscule and the production and circulation of texts. First, let us consider the concept of a scriptorium and as of a self-conscious house style of script. The simplest definition of a scriptorium is the literal one of a centre where books are copied by more than one scribe. But the issue is complicated by the identification of local script types which can be attributed to Carolingian writing centres in the 8th and 9th centuries. Thus, scriptorium has acquired an interpretative definition and has come to mean an atelier in which a particular homogeneous and identifiable writing style is produced by two or more scribes. According to this definition, therefore, the atelier deliberately creates or designs a calligraphic script, that is, a house style. The early scriptorium of Luxeuil, whose work you see here, with its calligraphic minuscule, and the distinctive half script of Tours are two examples of scriptoria in this specialist sense of the word. But we cannot assume that all writing centres produced house styles as distinct from writing a script that reflected current local or regional styles. The distinction between house style and local or regional style is an important one. It not only arises from a different set of attitudes and intentions in book production, but is also closely related to the process of the evolution of Caroline Minuscule as a whole. Essentially, the triumph of Caroline Minuscule over the older Merovingian book hands was the triumph of a disciplined, harmonious and orderly script in which individual letters had evolved from older half uncial and cursive forms. The earliest phase of the development of Caroline Minuscule is characterized by local variations on the basic script type, with a number of different forms for individual letters, such as the A, there are at least two different forms of A in this example from the end of the 8th century, and considerable latitude in the use of cursive features and ligatures. The diversity of early Caroline minuscule was complemented by that of the distinct regional pre-Caroline styles still in existence, for example in Alemannia. It was both these so-called pre-Caroline styles and the local variants which had a formative influence on the script produced in the writing centres of the regions later in the 9th century. How script types were taught and disseminated is one of the things we still know far too little about. We have no idea, for example, whether the monastery which we can identify as the location for a scriptorium was a school for instruction in writing from its foundation or whether it only became so gradually. Our knowledge of charter production and clerical training, at least, suggests that we may have to envisage other situations in which writing could be taught and therefore a continuous feed of extraneous influences from outside a particular monastic scriptorium into script development. When studying the input of the writing centres of the Carolingian period, therefore, it is necessary to be sensitive to a number of different factors. These are, above all, the degree of local or regional influence in terms both of initial training and from oblates trained in one centre continuing their education in another, and the continuing influences of pre-Carolingian scribal techniques and letter forms. 
It may be the consequences of local and regional influences and specific historical factors that we can see in the output of a scriptorium rather than a script deliberately designed as a house style. When we recognize a hand of Reims or St. Gallen or Salzburg, some examples of Salzburg here, therefore, is it a local regional style or a designed house style? The distinction between the two may sometimes have become blurred in that local idiosyncrasies could be deliberately adopted and exaggerated to form a special script, as appears to have been the case with Benevent and Minuscule. Such blurring and the initial notion of a house style of script, coupled with the concept of a scriptorium producing this house style, are indicative of a particular aesthetic attitude towards letter forms, which should be examined. But we must be careful to differentiate between contemporary Carolingian and our modern aesthetic evaluations and the practical grounds for evolving a house style of script. The harmony and regularity that became such a striking feature of the best products of the later 9th century are held to distinguish Caroline minuscule from its capital, unseal, half-unseal and cursive predecessors. Yet the features about Caroline minuscule to be insisted upon uniformity, consistency, regularity, and harmony are precisely the criteria for any successful book script. To produce a book by more than one scribe, agreements must be reached about text layout, forms of punctuation, type and size of script, and individual letter forms. A measure of uniformity and consistency has to be achieved, and it is a natural desideratum in a situation requiring text copying by a group. It is in this way that the peculiar demands of reproducing a text necessitated the organization of a writing center and a degree of homogeneity. And we can observe the response to these demands in extant rustic capital, unseal, and half-unseal manuscripts of the early Middle Ages, as much as in the minuscule books from the Germanic kingdoms of Western Europe from the 8th century onwards. In our aesthetic pleasure at the regularity of Caroline Minuscule, influenced as this is by its resemblance to the modern Roman typefaces to which we are accustomed, it is essential not to forget that the legibility of any script is a matter of what one is used to reading. Caroline Minuscule should excite us, not so much because of the shape of its letters, but for its clear testimony that the Franks learnt discipline and order from their exemplars and models. Their book production continued techniques and procedures evolved over the centuries from roll to codex and capital to minuscule. They adopted the principle of scriptoria from their forebears. We thus have two related questions to settle. Firstly, in the scripts of the later 9th century, are we dealing with homogeneous house styles or local and regional script types? Secondly, do we understand the term scriptorium as a producer of local scripts, that is, simply as a place which copies books in a particular area? Or should we reserve the term for the centres which produce distinctive homogeneous styles? The rest of the paper will focus on these two crucial issues and their implications. There are, of course, strict limits to the discussion. It is not feasible to confront the problem of house style and regional styles of scriptoria in the ninth century by way of palagraphical analysis of all the writing centres producing books in the Frankish kingdoms during the period after about 820. That is, once Caroline Minuscule is securely established, there are simply far too many. Scribes were everywhere. Nor, given the state of present research, would it be possible. Despite the full studies completed, in progress, contemplated or begun and abandoned, of such centres as Saint-Denis, Saint-Germain-des-Prés, Tours, Reims, Laon, Corby, Saint-Armand, Fleury and Auxerre in the West Frankish kingdoms, and Lorsch, Cologne, Reichenau, Fulda, Würzburg, the Bavarian and Austrian scriptoria studied by Bischoff in the East Frankish kingdoms, and the Swiss, Swiss scriptoria described by Bruckner, there is as great a number in want of full investigation, such as Lyon, Bourges, Sens, Soissons, Saint-Vaast, Beauvais, and many more. It would in any case be foolhardy now to embark on such work without all the information and signposts in the great catalogue of 9th century manuscripts being prepared by Bernhard Bischoff. This so near completion will revolutionize our knowledge of Carolingian culture, for it will make accessible a vast amount of material from the period after 814 and enable us to make a beginning on charting the progress of Caroline Minuscule. 
Paleographical and codicological observations on the books of the mid and later 9th century remain at present, therefore, based for the most part on the evidence of a few known centres and a small proportion of the manuscripts. These may well, for one reason or another, distort the picture. For example, we are only beginning to understand how much scriptoria had in common in their methods of book production. Further, knowledge of book production has often been based on knowledge of the production of a particular author's work taken out of the context of general patterns of distribution and transmission of texts in the Carolingian period. Let us consider a few examples from these Carolingian scriptoria after circa 820 to illustrate the difficulties of the evidence and the imperfections of our knowledge. A general characteristic of the scriptoria of Francia in the 9th century is that the early styles, documented in codices Latini Antiquiores, changed. For the Western region, Bischoff cites as examples the scripts of Corby, Reims, Lyon, Saint-Denis, Saint-Germain-des-Prés, and no doubt more could be added, such as Saint-Amand, Metz, Salzburg, Saint-Gallen, Freising, and Regensburg, and others among the East Frankish centres. There appears to be the emergence of a fine calligraphic script of wonderful regularity in a number of centres. So regular is it indeed that often secure attribution of the scripts to a particular atelier is dependent upon additional means of identification provided by decorative motifs and styles of illumination such as you see here from the Franco-Saxon school or habits and forms of punctuation such as the famous Saint-Denis question mark that Saint-Denis script but unfortunately the only plate I could find had no question mark <laughs> codicological practice such as the ruling methods adopted at Corby, or distinctive blind-stamped leather bindings as at Corby and Saint-Amand, of which this is a diagram. Sometimes none of these helps, and it is the internal evidence of the manuscript, its author, its annotations, or even its provenance that enable one to hazard a guess as to its origin. None of these features by itself, moreover, is conclusive, for some were adopted by other centres, Franco-Saxon styles of illumination, for example, were also practiced at Saint-Bertin and Saint-Vast, and even, according to Rand, at Tours. The scriptorium at Tours may well be typical in its development. Once elevated to a position of singularity as far as its methods of book production and writing styles were concerned, greater knowledge of other centres has now reduced Tours' preeminence, and technically, at least, it was much like everywhere else, though the question remains as to how much it taught other centres. It took some time for Caroline Minuscule to become securely established at Tours, and it was not until the 820s or 830s that the so-called perfected style and the greatest regularity of Ductus was achieved. It thus coincided, more or less, with the reign of Charles the Bald. The texts produced are, however, very narrow in their range, for the output appears to have consisted almost entirely of gospel books, Bibles and Lives of St. Martin. So great a contrast did this present to the earlier variety of texts produced at Tours that Rand was inclined to conclude that the Tours scriptorium had become one for the production of beautiful books only. Rand clearly thought this an emasculation of a once great centre, but it is possible to interpret this development more positively as an interesting consequence of royal patronage, the exploitation by Tours of its acquired reputation for fine writing and its service of a different clientele, namely that of the rich bibliophiles among the secular aristocracy and ecclesiastical magnates. Tour can thus tell us about an extra dimension to the activity of Carolingian scriptoria, that is, the degree to which they supplied a more general market, which has been little investigated hitherto. The Loire Valley scriptoria, in which I include Fleury, Euser, Ferrière, and Orléans, on the other hand, accord better with conventional notions of the activity of Carolingian writing centres. In these, rather than fine liturgical and biblical books, texts of the highest intellectual level were both composed and copied. In the orderly hand of Lupus of Ferrière, which you see here from his copy of the De Oratore of Cicero, the works of Heirik of Ozer, or the astonishing number of classical texts emanating from this group of monasteries, we see Carolingian book hand at its most functional. It is clear, uncluttered, and modest script with few ligatures or abbreviations and little in the way of ornament. 
So close were the intellectual and religious links between these centers, especially between Fleury and Saint-Germain-d'Auxerre, that it is sometimes difficult to distinguish with any certainty between the scripts of each. The wealth of classical texts from these centers gives the impression that they were, above all, engaged in the study and production of ancient learning. This is due in part, of course, to the zeal with which Lupus of Ferrier, one of the leaders within this charmed circle, satisfied his thirst for classical learning. A contributory factor, however, is the concentration of modern textual scholarship since the Renaissance humanists first started tracking down classical authors. As a result, Fleury assumes considerable prominence. No less than 27 9th century manuscripts of classical texts can be associated with this scriptorium including early grammatical texts, the Querulus and Phaedrus, and works by Hyginus, Cicero, Macrobius, Petronius, Cato, Avianus, Quintilian, Virgil, Justinus, Lucan, and Nonius Marcellus. Yet Fleury was also intensely active in the promotion of the cult of St. Benedict and of monastic asceticism. This is clearly evident in such manuscripts as Orléans 191, a copy of Adrival's Historiae Translationum, or the ascetic Florilegium now in Paris. Non-classical interest can be discerned in all these Loire Valley centres. To Ferrier, or at least to the circle of Lupus, for example, can be attributed not only the writings of Livy, Aulus Gellius, Cicero, Frontinus, Symmachus, Valerius Maximus, but also Isidore's Seville's Etymologiae, Augustine's De Doctrina Christiana, Prudentius, and Bede's Commentary on Acts. So too at Auxerre. The apparent preoccupation with classical studies is more than offset by the clear indications that these formed one major part of the educational opportunities at Auxerre, both at Saint-Germain and in the cathedral circle, which bore fruit in its cultivation of Christian philosophy and theology. Quite apart from the testimony of the manuscripts, the diversity of Auxerre's interest is clearly reflected in the varied writings of Haimo, Hyric, and Remigius, and the authors of the Gesta Episcoporum Otisio Dorensium. It is clear, therefore, that the Loire Valley Scriptoria reflect a wide range of intellectual and educational interests, fed by scribes copying texts old and new, and closely related to the needs of teaching. These centres appear not to have been involved in the production of fine books on any scale, but they do appear to have played a large role in the transmission of classical texts. Even taking the possible distortions of the emphases of modern scholarship mentioned earlier, it does appear that the copying of classical authors was concentrated in the Loire region in the reign of Charles the Bald, for a far greater proportion of extant 9th century manuscripts containing classical authors comes from this region than from any other in the Frankish kingdoms. It suggests that the mechanics of obtaining exemplars and providing scribes expert in the copying of certain types of texts may have led to a certain amount of specialization, not only in subject, but also in types of book production, just as some Carolingian libraries have better collections in one field than in another. In the Royal Centres in particular, there is considerable evidence for such specialization and collaboration between the members of the group. Books from one centre were used as exemplars at another, such as the Osea copy of a tour manuscript now in Florence. There are manuscripts written at Auxerre or Fleury and annotated or corrected by Lupus at Ferrier. And there's a Vienna corpus of Cicero's philosophical works corrected against a Corby manuscript by Lupus. We also find manuscripts written at one centre known to be at another very soon after they were written, such as a grammatical collection in Oxford, written at Auxerre in the third quarter of the ninth century and subsequently at Bourges. The dissemination of the ideas of particular scholars was dependent on the links of intellectual sympathy and bibliographical knowledge built up between different monasteries. Specialization in book production, such as I have suggested, would have been a sensible way of dealing with a demand for particular texts and would positively have assisted the organization of thought and knowledge. If the Loire Valley centers suggest a concentration on classical authors, those of Burgundy, particularly of the Lyon region, supply an important corrective and contrast. These, again by and large an exceedingly workmanlike set of texts in terms of their script and format, 
are almost wholly of the mainline patristic authors and early medieval theology and exegesis. In the gifts of the successive bishops of Lyon after Lydrat, especially of Agabard, Amelo, Hotman, and Remigius, and in the enormous pile of manuscripts annotated by Florus, the deacon of Lyon, an example of whose work you can see in the margin of this manuscript. I'm sorry, it's a horrible slide. It's a slide taken from a printout from a negative microfilm. We see the provision for the monasteries and cathedral of Lyon with the Christian texts they required. There is only a slight interest in classical texts evinced in the surviving manuscripts from the Lyon region. Indeed, in Lyon, there is a distinct impression of specialization in theology, and in particular in the works of Augustine and Jerome. The minuscule of the best of the of the highest quality, and there is a general restraint in the use of capital, uncial, or ornamented initials, constant consultation. In the Lyon corpus, indeed, the Christian emphasis of the Carolingian Renaissance is amply documented. The essential continuity with the late antique and Merovingian period is particularly evident in Lyon, in such pairs of manuscripts as the 7th century City of God, copied in the 9th century, which is this manuscript, both of them annotated by Florus. In the writing centres of the Seine Basin, and in north and northeast France, we have the most persuasive evidence of writing centres producing books written in scripts which are distinctive enough to enable us to ascribe them to the region, but which do not merit the appellation house style. The various idiosyncrasies of Saint-Denis, for example, can, I think, be so categorised, rather than insisting on Saint-Denis as a centre of fine book production. It is the intellectual connections of Saint-Denis above all, now fully documented by Jean Vezin, which are manifest in the clear texts produced by its scribes. Corby's famous scriptorium, however, is one where the process of training scribes and successive generations employing Corby script provide greater claims for the cultivation of a house style as far as letter forms are concerned. Corby's history in relation to that of Caroline Minuscule generally is that of a monastery and scriptorium acutely conscious of scribal discipline and the necessity for its streamlined book production in order to serve its literary and intellectual interests. Its script is distinctive owing to the successive generations of master scribes and pupils. In the later 9th century, it is dominated by the figure of Hadouard and the manuscripts associated with him. The activities of both Saint-Denis and Corby serve to emphasize still further the stress Jean Vezin has laid upon the necessity for a scriptorium to cultivate relations with other abbeys and cathedrals in order to maintain the supply of exemplars. Knowledge of the contents of another centre's library was, as I have suggested elsewhere, communicated by means of the library catalogues, and these latter texts thus played a crucial role in the organisation and dissemination of texts within the Frankish kingdom. Relations with other abbeys and monasteries, moreover, appear to have resulted in the visits or even exchange of scribes between one centre and another. With the examples of collaboration and cooperation evidenced in such manuscripts as St. Gaul 40, written by scribes trained at Saint-Denis and Saint-Gallen, or Leiden Lipsius 7, a text of Pliny written by two scribes, one from Moorbach and the other from Luxeuil, the distinction I suggested at the outset can be refined further. That is, on the one hand, there is a deliberate house style to mark a book as a distinctive product of a particular centre, and on the other hand, there is a local or regional style used for the practical purpose of producing necessary texts as efficiently as possible. The number of scriptoria engaging in the production of books to serve religious, administrative and intellectual needs, either generally or for a specific person in the north of France, could be multiplied considerably. If a centre could not for one reason or another produce the books it needed on a large scale, then it appears to have acquired them from elsewhere. This certainly appears to have been Lyon's practice. Reims, on the other hand, was well equipped to supply the archbishop and abbots of the various monasteries in the diocese with the texts it needed. Its script is undistinguished. There is little use of a hierarchy of scripts, nor even much deployment of capital letters for decorative effect. Although there is a long list of manuscripts to be associated with Archbishop Hinkmar in particular, Reims' production in his time is almost entirely functional, 
and there is little of the marvellous effusions like this one that we associate with Oakville in the heyday of Hinkmar's predecessor, Ebbo. Nevertheless, this is not to say that the Reims scriptorium in the second half of the 9th century was not well organised or well disciplined. It was, but its purpose was not fine book production so much as copying of working texts for its clergy and scholars. In contrast, the ultimate outcome of patronage and the opportunities afforded skilled craftsmen in service to the king is to be seen in the products of the Hofschule of Charles the Bald, arguably located at Compiègne. The script style of these manuscripts is elegant and regular with little by way of distinguishing marks. The decoration is the hallmark in these manuscripts. Of all the scriptoria so far mentioned, most are fully engaged in the production of texts at a highly efficient level. Yet in all cases, our knowledge of them is deficient or lopsided, and we may not be getting a valid picture of their activity. Can it really be the case, for example, that only the Palace School Scriptorium of Charles the Bald and Tours, a royal abbey, produced fine books for outside patrons as a matter of course and in an organised way? The great schools of Carolingian book painting in the second half of the 9th century and the most active scriptoria are often thought to be synonymous. But could it be that such specialist producers were somewhat anomalous in the general system for the copying of texts? Detailed analysis of the activities of one of these great centres of book production, that of Saint-Armand, the main atelier of the Franco-Saxon school, may help in answering this question. For in Saint-Amand, we are fortunate in having a scriptorium which appears to have operated at two levels, producing both fine books for patrons and working texts for its school and library. So we go on and consider Saint-Amand in some detail. number of preconditions to be met if a writing centre is to be successful. It must be attached to a wealthy institution to provide the necessary and expensive materials, parchment and pigments, and it must have scribes with sufficient skill and the time to write books. Wealth and its maintenance implies a patron or patrons. As we have seen in such examples as the Loire Valley Centres, Lyon, Saint-Denis or Corby, the centre must possess relations with many others to ensure a steady flow and exchange of exemplars for copying. In almost every case of a writing centre or scriptorium famed for its activity, moreover, there is an enthusiast promoting activity either for scholarship or for books in the library, such as Gerwald at Lorsch, Grimmelt at St. Gallen, Regenbert at Reichenau, Florus at Lyon, Heyrich at Auxerre, Lupus at Ferrières, and Hadoardus at Corby. Lastly, there has to be a tradition of book production, scribal techniques already established and the means of training new scribes present in the monastery already. This is, in some sense, of course, begging the question, but if one is dealing with later 9th century scriptoria, then these preconditions as defined are valid. In Saint-Amand's case, all these preconditions were met. It was wealthy, with extensive estates in varied regions. It had been founded in the 7th century, and since the advent of the Carolingians had attracted an increasing amount of royal patronage and endowment, culminating in the close relationship between this now royal abbey and Charles the Bald himself. Its relations with other centres in the early 9th century, such as Lorsch, Mainz, the Palace School of Charlemagne and Salzburg, are fully attested in extant manuscripts. It had in the persons of Milo and his nephew Hookbald, successively masters of the school of Saint-Amand in the second half of the 9th century, and Abbot Goslin, who served from after 870 until 889, ardent enthusiasts for scholarship and books. And it had a firm tradition of book production established in the time of Arno, on which it was able to draw for its work in the later 9th century. The Saint-Amand scriptorium is best known for its fine Franco-Saxon style of illumination, most gloriously manifest in the second Bible of Charles the Bald, of which you see an example here. The insular influences present in north and northeast France throughout the 8th and early 9th centuries were clearly crucial for the emergence of this style of art. 
but the precise development of the style is still in the process of documentation by Florentino Nusserich. Even in this Franco-Saxon style, there are distinctively Carolingian features, such as the leaves pendant from the beast's mouth, also a motif to be found in early saint Amant initials, and the black dotted outline leaf on the initial pages, as you can see here. The beast head corners of the famous framed incipit page of Genesis in the second Bible of Charles the Bald are another characteristic Franco-Saxon motif. But in both the Bible and the Franco-Saxon Gospels in the Pierpont Morgan Library in New York, the Carolingian, as distinct from the insular elements of the style, are unmistakable, particularly evident in the patterning style and motifs of the corner decoration. I'm sorry about the light. It's one of the first slides I ever tried to take with disastrous consequences. The Franco-Saxon style was not a house style, however, but a regional one in which a number of North French centres, notably Saint-Vaast-d'Arras, Saint-Humer and Saint-Bertin, participated. The Prague Gospels from Saint-Vaast, for example, have beast corners in the framed pages. A variant use of Franco-Saxon motifs at an early stage of their development can be observed in this sorter, the sorter of King Louis, from Saint-Humer. The Porrentrigues Gospels from Saint-Bertin had the distinctive Franco-Saxon treatment of the finials on the initials. If one can accept a regional style of illumination and recognize historical influences and antecedents in its techniques and motifs, one also may be able to do so for script. And this has to be taken into consideration when discussing Saint-Armand's script. There is one crucial function of the Franco-Saxon decorative style, particularly as it was used by Saint-Armand, and that is its intimate relationship with the text. Among the Franco-Saxon ateliers, it was Saint-Amand which achieved the most successful marriage of text and decoration, even down to the ordering of minuscule and headings on the page. The solutions of the scribes of Saint-Amand for the layout of the text represent a high point in scribal discipline of the Carolingian period. They also constitute an important technical development in book production. Many examples from the Saint-Armand books can be cited, from the sublime displays of letters in the Second Bible of Charles the Bald to the more mundane school texts in such manuscripts as Valenciennes 173. In all, the attention to content and deployment of different ranks of letters to enhance the impact of the text and assist the reader in understanding it are striking. To make the text and letter forms be images in themselves, moreover, was one of the greatest contributions the Carolingians made to both art and book production, and Saint-Armand was at the forefront of this. Now you see that E as it should be seen with the whole page. Let me cite some typical examples of the range of types of layout. The Joshua Incipit page from the Second Bible of Charles the Bald, written circa 870, is exquisite in its harmony and balance. The letter E forms an image decorated with delicate and restrained abstract ornament. It is complemented by the fine uncial and the characteristic Saint-Amand monumental capitals of the incipit. In the La Oregon, there is a fine example of Saint-Amand work with a particularly effective layout of initial uncial script and minuscule. In the Saint-Hubert Gospels, recently rediscovered and sold for far too much money at Sotheby's, and to be dated 879 to 882, there is again a marvellous sense of balance in the construction of the L and the I, and the whole text on the incipit page of St. Matthew's Gospel, quite apart from the elegance of the unsealed script itself. In this page from the Glacier Sacramentary from the Morgan Library from Saint-Amand, the initial is literally subordinate to the text, and in Valenciennes 406 is to be seen a masterly control of the relationship between initials and minuscule. Apart from the use of decorated initials, there is the deployment of a hierarchy of scripts. A hierarchy of scripts was not simply decorative in function, both because it served to mark out important parts of the text as a form of punctuation, and because the status of the script used enhanced and reflected the status of particular sections of the text, the elaboration of different grades of script according to formality or rank was a significant development in Western book illumination. Tour is justly famous for its achievement in this respect, but by no means unique. 
Saint-Amand's deployment of the hierarchy of script was singularly versatile and effective. One may observe it in the title pages provided for high-grade books, such as the alternating red and black lines of monumental capitals in the Augustan Codex, now in Paris. Again, a sacramentary in Paris has a resplendent title page in Unseal, and another variant is provided with a decorative frame in other sacramentaries. Alternatively, a title page could take the form of one monumental capital with lines of unsealed script, as in the Valenciennes Isidore. Incipit pages also provided the opportunity for imaginative deployment of a hierarchy of scripts. The Paris Augustan provides an example with its incipit page in capitals, unsealed, and minuscule. Another example is the De Sobrietate from Valenciennes with a fine scent of design in the arrangement of the letter forms. The layout of the text itself was another sphere in which the Saint-Amand scribes excelled. The finest examples are in the high-grade books. In the austere, mid-9th century Paris sacramentary from Saint-Amand, for example, the large V and T signal the beginning of the two central prayers of the canon of the Mass, Vere Dignum and Te Igitur. Ansial script is used for the two opening lines and for the opening words of the Sanctus. The letters of the abbreviated forms in the latter case constitute a symbolic invocation. In a less solemn part of the text, text division is achieved by rustic capitals and marginal capitals. In the Glazier or Chell Sacramentary in the Morgan Library, written in the fine and elegant minuscule of Saint-Amand in its perfected form, Roman rustic capitals again provide an effective division of the text, and the first word of each prayer is given an enlarged square capital letter. Another problem of layout was the incorporation of diagrams. The simple manuscript of Isidore in Valenciennes shows a good sense of design and a high degree of careful planning in the disposition of the text. Layout, then, is a major element in book production at Saint-Amand. As much attention was paid to it in the high-ranking liturgical books as in the library and school texts for everyday use. It is an important desideratum for studies of the work of writing centres that the layout of the text and subsidiary text and diagrams receive as much attention as the arrangement of the text in relation to the decoration. The Saint-Amand scribes' attention to detail is also evident in their preparation of their material for writing for they employed a careful system of ruling to produce the greatest possible uniformity on each opening. Like the other Carolingian writing centres of its time, Saint-Amand had its own habits of preparation of the parchment and ruling of the page ready for writing. These may not have been a conscious wish to distinguish its practices from those of other centres, but simply a reflection of rules once established being maintained in order to present an orderly appearance in the books. As the ruling practice of Carolingian scriptoria generally is established, Saint-Amand may well turn out to be conforming to normal practice. Two distinct styles of ruling can be observed in Saint-Amand. Style A and style B, one of which appears to have been superseded by the other, though the difference between them is slight. According to the first, style A, a pile of bifolia, usually four, was arranged with the hair side uppermost and then ruled. Thus, the hair side always has grooves and the flesh side is always ridged because in the 9th century, ruling of manuscripts was done with a hard point and not with an instrument that would leave an actual mark on the parchment. These leaves, once ruled, were then arranged to form a quaternion, four leaves all put together so you get 16 pages, with hair side facing hair side and flesh side facing flesh side in the usual way so you get an even colour as well. Hair side and hair side are slightly darker than flesh side and the grooves are facing grooves and ridges facing ridges. This achieved the most complete visual uniformity and consistency to the eye. The other method, B, was to arrange the leaves in the choir ready for folding with hair facing hair and flesh side facing flesh side and then rule it. This would result in some hair sides and some flesh sides being grooved and others ridged in the quaternion. In both cases, hair side was on the outside and in the inner opening of the choir. This may have provided a more useful guide in making up the choirs, but it had the disadvantage of losing the uniformity of method A. Neither of these practices was used exclusively at Saint-Amand. 
There are manuscripts written in Saint-Amand's script on choirs arranged in different ways. By itself, therefore, owing to the limited variation on ruling and choiring practice possible, it is not conclusive proof that a manuscript was indeed prepared in the Saint-Amand scriptorium. The actual ruling of the page varied according to the grade of text, but generally the most usual arrangement was within prickings near the outer edge of the leaf to guide the ruling and either single or double bounding lines. What of the minuscule script? The early script of Saint-Amand in the time of the close connections with Salzburg at the end of the 8th century and in the early years of the 9th was irregular, both in its minuscule and in its capital and display scripts. Even by circa 800 or codex here, now in Munich, it gradually became larger and more spacious and the ligatures decreased in number. Ligatures in copious quantity, such as ST, CT, RA, ET, FRA, FRI, FI, LI, there's only about a few here. I'll try this implement. Uh, there. RT, ST. There. They're very distinctive. ET in the middle of a word. <coughs> These ligatures, nevertheless, remain a constant predilection on the part of the saint Amand scribes until very late in the 9th century, which is quite unusual among Carolingian writing centres generally. Even in the formative decades, half uncial was used in addition to the other scripts in the hierarchy. In the early years, too, the Franco-Saxon style of illumination was beginning to develop, and the distinctive question mark is also to be noted. The cursive ancestors of saint Amand minuscule are to be recognised in certain features of the treatment of the ascenders. The script as a whole has a definite character and firmness which is instantly recognisable, partly due, presumably, to the way in which Saint-Amand's scribes were taught to cut their nibs. Until the 820s, Saint-Amand used unseals for titles, and incipits and explicates were written in monumental capitals, which were increasingly regularised and classicised. In the time of Lothar, who died in 828, the script began to change. The narrow minuscule got broader, and was written with straight rather than sloping shafts and minims. The script as a whole acquired an increasingly regular ductus, there were slight feet on the minims, and some of the shafts acquired serifs. Later development of the script is characterized by two distinct grades of minuscule. The one is a further development of the features discerned emerging in the early 830s, with an increasingly elegant regular ductus, almost typographic in its perfection, as in the glazier sacramentary from the Morgan. It is broader and rounder than the earlier script of before 828. This script appears for the most part to have been reserved for high-grade books for export, and thus is similar to the perfected tour style in its function. Yet this extremely high-grade minuscule had its influence on its humbler contemporary, the Saint-Amand library or textbook hand. Examples of this are largely to be found among the two major repositories of Saint-Amand manuscripts in the Bibliothèque Nationale in Paris and the Bibliothèque Municipale in Valenciennes, and it is from these that my examples have been chosen. This second-grade script is slightly more relaxed and permitted more personal idiosyncrasies, but is nevertheless sufficiently recognisable as Saint-Amand work in such manuscripts as this one from Paris to make it possible to attribute over 90 manuscripts to this scriptorium. It is simpler in form, slopes slightly as if it were written more rapidly, and has a tendency to more ragged line endings. Generally, however, the rigour of scribal discipline imposed at Saint-Amand, in which the lines of the pages often appear to be justified, create a block-like effect on the page and this prevails even in the lower-ranking books. In these, there remains the neat minuscule and a restrained use of a hierarchy of scripts. At Saint-Amand, therefore, we appear to have two different grades of script, the one used for library and school books, and the other for books for export. The second-grade script is much less distinctive, and without the information added by decoration or provenance, would probably have been classified as a regional script, in contrast to the calligraphic high-grade house style used for the exported books. The second-grade script is much more like other West Frankish minuscule variants from other writing centres. 
And this raises the question of whether there was now so much interchange and communication with other centres that an everyday house style would, on practical grounds, be increasingly difficult to maintain. In other words, there appears to have been no feeling that a monastery must possess books in its own script. The library of Saint-Armand, for example, included books from Fleury, Tours, Reims, Corby, West France or Brittany, Mainz, Saint-Vaast, the Lower Rhine, England, and some unidentified centres north of the Seine. More than half Huckbald's own books had been acquired elsewhere and had not been written for him by his own monastery scriptorium. Such a situation would suggest that distinctive house styles would not be relevant and that where we find them in later 9th century scriptoria, there has to be a reason for them. Thus, the wider dissemination of Caroline minuscule had, as a consequence, a lessening of local differences. The conscious cultivation of a house style became increasingly rare and was for specific purposes. Although productive scriptoriums such as Lorche, St. Gallen or Saint-Amand could supply the bulk of its school texts from its own resources, the need to borrow exemplars may well have prompted other exchanges and thus no scriptorium could remain totally cut off from its fellows. This makes the task of determining the contents of a particular centre's library and thus formative influences on the thought of a scholar working at that centre even more difficult. I have suggested that a high-grade house style such as we observe at Saint-Amand is something of an anomaly. It was reserved for commissioned books for export to other centres and it is clear that not only did a house style function as the export quality script but that Saint-Amand was not the only writing centre to develop such a calligraphic distinction. Tours, for example, is famous for its pandects and gospel books. The great enterprise for Bible text production at Tours was apparently inaugurated in the time of the English abbot Alcuin, who died in 804, and was part of a more general one also associated with the court school of Charlemagne and Metz. The emphasis in Alcuin's time was on providing a clear and correct text rather than an edited one that had been subjected to textual criticism. One major characteristic of this tour Bible production was the copying of pandects, or whole Bibles, rather than the customary division of the Bible into separate books or groups of books, such as the Pentateuch, Octateuch, Prophets, Psalter, Gospels, Epistles, Revelation, and so on. From Alcuin's time, two pandects are extant, and from the period of production under his successor, Frudugeisus, no less than seven, to which can now be added an eighth in the form of a newly rediscovered and identified Quaritch fragment of Ezekiel. From the period of the perfected Tour minuscule under the lay abbots Adelhard and Vivian between 834 and 851, four magnificent Bibles and nine marvellous gospel books survive. These manuscripts are more famous, rightly or wrongly, for their illustrations and picture cycles, but it is the script and layout which should concern us. Indeed, the most crucial fact about the Tour Bibles is that they were produced in prodigious quantities, mass-produced, in a standard format, 52 lines per column, two columns per page, written in a distinctive and uniform script and with a consistent layout. They also appear to have achieved dominance in the market for Bible texts by the mid-9th century. Copies of the Martinellus, A compilation of texts concerning Tours' patron saint were also disseminated from Tours in a quite unparalleled manner. No less than ten are extant. One even belonged to Saint-Amand. The other extant Martinelli is similarly of non-Tours provenance. The Tours Bible text was the Alquinian revision. With the Martinelli manuscripts containing texts of particular importance to Tours, therefore, Tours' export activity to other centres throughout the Frankish-ruled regions had as its main aim the dissemination and circulation of particular texts within the Carolingian realm. It acted in effect as a publishing house for revised editions of texts, particularly of texts it wished to become standard or popular. 
Although Tour undoubtedly produced fine books for wealthy patrons, it did not develop its high-grade house style merely to pander to the luxurious tastes of the wealthy, nor only as a dramatic proclamation of the power and importance of the written word. Copies were multiplied of books like the Bible and the Martinellus for the utilitarian purpose of disseminating a particular text. Saint-Amand also exemplifies the export production of a particular centre. Its famous sacramentaries witnessed to the steady output of grand liturgical volumes for other centres. Le Mans, 77 for example, was made for Le Mans. The Morgan sacramentary was destined for Chell. A sacramentary in Lenigrad was made for Tournai, one in Paris for Saint-Denis, one in Reims for Reims, another one from Paris for Saint-Germain-des-Prés, and one in Stockholm for Sens. Desus ranked these codices in chronological order between 851 and 876, and in a seductive thesis, he proposed Charles the Bald as the Mycenaeus who commissioned the books from this royal monastery for presentation to other centres. You see here an example of the book written for Saint-Germain-des-Prés. There is no doubt that these codices were commissioned by someone, and also that the churches for which they were destined could produce books of their own. That's the one written for Saint, and we know of Saint manuscript production. The books, moreover, are beautifully written in Saint-Amand's high-grade minuscule and with special title pages in unsealed script. But except for the Glazier Sacramentary in the Morgan now, they do not have the appearance of royal gifts. They have rather the character of good quality working texts, special working texts, however, for use on the altar in the church, commissioned for active use. Tessius himself suggested that the sacramentary text in these volumes, a Hadrianum mass text, could have acted as a standard sacramentary text. If Saint Amand produced this sacramentary text and a high grade export script to go with it, then it is a manifestation of Saint-Amand exerting an important and identifiable influence on the liturgy in the same way that Tour promoted the text of the Bible and the cult of St. Martin. Commissioners in this context could be lay patrons as much as bishops seeking advice. But we may have in these books for export a clue to the method of disseminating a standard text in standard format with a script which identified its origin to all users. Such an interpretation can be broadened, for it raises the question of the mechanics of the provision of books which belonged to the agreed canon of accepted texts, as distinct from the rarities exchanged by bibliophiles like Lupus of Ferrier. I suggested earlier that there appears to have been a specialization in the production of particular kinds of text. For example, there is the Lyon Corpus of Augustinian Theology, and the output of law books from a scriptorium associated with the royal court in the reign of Louis the Pious, the classical texts from the Loire region, sacramentaries from Saint-Amand, and Bibles from Tours. When one reflects on the number of multiple copies of the same author's work we have from the Carolingian period, one must consider how they got disseminated, how exemplars were procured, and what happens to letter forms as a consequence of such mass production. At Saint-Amand, we are fortunate to have examples of different aspects of its activity, and the question remains as to whether, in its high-grade export script production and its clear provision of school texts in lower-grade minuscule, it was typical of Carolingian scriptoria of the second half of the ninth century. What work has been done so far suggests that it was unusual in its cultivation of a calligraphic house style and an ordinary regional script, but its position vis-à-vis -vis other Frankish scriptoria can only be established by comparative analysis of the host of the writing centres producing books in the later 9th century. What evidence we now have available, however, fully corroborates the picture of diversified production at some centres, specialised production at others, but both produce, responding fully to the political, legal, religious and intellectual needs of the time in a systematic and professional way, in a script that could sustain the pressures of mass production. We have, therefore, the practical provision by Carolingian scriptoria of the basic texts required for the organization of thought and acquisition of knowledge, for the consolidation of the Christian faith, and for the administration of the realm. Wherever we look, there are examples of organized and efficient text production 
and a remarkable incidence of specialization within particular writing centers of special categories of text. Without the copying activities of the atelier, the professional techniques developed for the efficient reproduction of texts, and the adaptation of the basic Caroline minuscule script, Carolingian scholars and administrators would have been seriously handicapped, unable to communicate at the level they did, and with no comparably effective means for the dissemination of their ideas. The books produced by the Carolingians are in every way the most eloquent witness to the value the Franks accorded the written word. Thank you.